नमो तस्सा भगवतो रतो सम्मा संबुदासा नमो तस्सा भगवतो रतो सम्मा संबुदासा नमो तस्सा भगवतो रतो सम्मा संबुदासा For sake of all beings, wisdom, compassion, and non-clinging awareness. It's always good to start with an aspiration. Uh, you've come for a retreat, I take it. Yes. I decided for this for this uh, weekend to use the theme of this uh, very very famous uh, discourse by the Buddha on blessings uh, as a way of um, teaching something that's very close to my heart, which is uh, what is auspiciousness and uh, what constitutes, if you want, a, a path of uh, liberation. Uh, that isn't often talk, talked about. It's, it's, it seems to be um, um, so often when you hear Dharma discourses, med- especially in the West, meditation, 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 or happiness, 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 happiness. But the factors uh, to move a person um, towards uh, harnessing um, what, is a, what is a blessed life which sounds very Christian, but in fact is, um, we'll, we'll explore what these words mean. It is very, very Christian. But explore what these words mean. It's very important uh, corrective to a lot of people that are meditating, 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 uh, which, by the way, I lead a lot of meditation retreats. <laughs> That's what I do. But, but um, find that the meditation isn't sufficient because it isn't sufficient. So unless you harness a lot of other things in life, you'll find that uh, meditation simply is not sufficient to bring about uh, significant changes that you want to happen. And people keep wondering, well, I'm meditating. And I go, so what? I really, I, I, I have to get sometimes very strong with people. Well, I'm meditating. I've been meditating for 15 years. How come I'm not different? Because you think that meditation somehow is the way you're meditating. <laughs> You think that meditation is the antidote when in fact there's all kinds of other factors. So as you've heard before, I think I believe that most of you study with some other teachers like um, Jerry and, and uh, Brian and so on. Yes? You've probably heard this many times before, but uh, especially I'm sure from Brian and, 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 and Jerry, that uh, meditation uh, classically uh, taught in the East when you go to a teacher of meditation the, the technical name for that is a, uh, is a, a Kama Bhavana teacher. And that, that doesn't just mean meditation. It, means, ment- it may, means mental culture. So if you study under a teacher and you have a good relationship with that teacher, it, it, if they're not just a meditation teacher, then they are, they are working with you, hopefully working with you, on your entire mental culture, cu- culture a cultured being. So give me another example. I don't know if it's still going on in Thailand, maybe Thailand and Burma, but certainly in Thailand up until not so long ago, uh, it's traditional for males. You can see some, you'll see some sexual bias here. Not for me, but, but it's quite strong. But you'll see in, in, in Thailand, uh, it's traditional for young males to go to the monastery for three months, and they take up the, um, not a novice ordination, sub, sub-novice ordination, uh, but, but like a novice ordination, uh, monastic, 
uh, for three months uh, and go into a three-month retreat or, or participate in monastic life. Well, you're not, there's a, I forget the word for it, but you're not considered human unless you do that. You're not eligible for being married. Did you see? Being married off. Because you're not really human yet. And because you don't have the, meth- the ethical development, you don't have the mental culture to be considered worthy of even, of even marriage. Do you, see, do you understand? So in the West, uh, people are looking around for something to make them happy or something to be the antidote to their difficulties. But they don't realize that, in fact, uh, liberation from afflictive emotional um, uh, illness is a large task, good task, worthy task, but involves changing one's entire uh, life and harnessing the blessings. So you have to know what the blessings are. So uh, if that isn't done, meditation is sterile. Do you know what I mean by it's sterile? It, it's like, um, well, let's use a, a prairie's metaphor, if you wish. It would be like having um, beautiful wheat fields and you don't use the right fertilizer or there's a drought. You know? But you've got good seeds in there, yes? You've, you've bought really high quality seeds. You put the seeds in the right time of year, but there's a drought going on in the life. Does it make sense? And it's very hard to, to, to see this drought um, because there's so much social pressure on you or on beings to conform to a certain way like us. Yes? So it makes it very, very difficult, and I really feel for people, uh, because the social pressure to be like this, to think like this, which is insidious, not because it's a conspiracy, it's just insidious in terms of the information bombardment from a very, very young age, this is what's going to make you happy, dear. This, this will do it for you. And in fact, it doesn't. It just doesn't. It doesn't work. So do you get, get the idea? So no matter what you do, how much meditation you do, you have to build a foundation for that meditation. I'm speaking very classically. For that meditation to grow, which means you need sufficient water at the right times, you need a sufficient amount of sunlight, and you need sufficient amount of nutrients. Otherwise, the plants just aren't going to grow. And every once in a while, one has students, or we, weeds, oh, sorry, no, I mean plants. Oh, sorry. Watch that. <clears throat> no. uh, every once in a while, with these beautiful uh, fruits and vegetables, they're missing micronutrients, right? Micronutrients? Boron. We have a joke about boron. Uh, boron, uh, trace amounts of selenium, and so on, Yes. And you think, well, everything should be right, but the plant just isn't growing, or it's in a in too acid environment, or too alkaline environment. So human beings are very much like that. They're missing micronutrients that are absolutely crucial, but they can't see it. They just can't see it. And I don't mean food. Just something isn't working in the life. Something is really obstructing uh, the life and will not let the life uh, free up. Hmm? 
So this, this teaching on the Mangala Sutra is really crucial to uh, contemplating and freeing up and getting, wait a minute, it's not just about meditation. It's about what is the mo- what's the, what are the most important things for leading a blessed life. But then we're going to have to find out what the word blessing means. I'm, I'm a stickler on this one. Because remember that the, the translation, these are, these are old translations. They could be new translations. They'd still be suspect. But translation's a very, very difficult thing to do. And we have to find out why these words were chosen and what this text is actually uh, meaning. Do, we, do they have copies? Let's, let's hand them out text. I oh, just passed, just passed, yeah, that's it. Just like, just like school. You'll find, you'll find on the, the internet there's a number of translations of this very, very famous text. This text, by the way, is, is chanted a lot in Southeast Asia, over and over and over. It's very famous. Uh, one of the reasons I like to uh, chant it and also um, read from it and teach from it, uh, I guess because I partly grew up with it, it was, it was one of my, uh, my Namjo Rinpoche's favorite uh, dis- discourses to chant from. He loved it. And I, I, I still do. I think it's, it's glorious. But the meaning is so profound. Um, there's a reason why it is chanted. I, I, I always hope when people chant things, they actually understand the meaning. That's, 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 that's important. So it starts off, it says, uh, the Mangala Sutta. Now, just so everybody understands, uh, the, the word sutta uh, refers to... Actually, I'm go back a little bit. There's something that came up in mind a, a few minutes ago. It arose and then passed away. This is something that's not talked about in the Theravada tradition, but it is talked about in the Mahayana uh, and the Vajrayana tradition, is that the relationship of the teacher, which you'll see in here, it starts off the, 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 the most blessed thing, that number one is, the, is associate with the wise. But in the uh, Mahayana Vajrayana traditions, there is teachings that are very specific on what the role of a, uh, a teacher does for, with students. And, um, but it's not pointed out anywhere I've ever seen in the uh, Theravadan tradition. Not to say it doesn't happen, it just isn't pointed out. But this is to do with, when I talk about the, micro, the micronutrients, not just the macronutrients. The macronutrients are in the text. The micronutrients are hard to find. The micronutrients are the karmic activity, mental, mental, physical blockages one has that one doesn't necessarily see. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. That create an obstacle, obstruction, for the mind waking up, for the mind becoming free. And sometimes these are very, very difficult to get at. And, and I've, I've always liked the, um, some of the definitions that Karen Hornay, who was a very famous um, psychoanalyst, gave back in the 30s of, of ne- what a neurotic personality is like. And, and one of them is 
is pain. They're in pain, but often don't know they're in pain. And um, a life of frustration. And, um, and blockages. You know, just, just blockages. Blockages to being able to function. So, uh, so in the tradition of Mahayana and Vajrayana, uh, the, the Lama or the guru or the, the, the teacher is there to actually, it's spelled out quite clearly, to remove, called the Nirmanakaya, the Nirmanakaya form, the manifestation of Buddhahood, the physical manifestation of Buddhahood, is there to actually remove the karmic blockages. Because if they're not removed, if they're not worked through, then the uh, ability to practice meditations on ripening wisdom, freedom, don't bear fruit. See? For instance, right now in my garden, I, I like gardening. It's kind of I love gardening. One, I can go from coffee to gardening as metaphors all day long. But, but, because uh, I also like like love the craft of coffee. But uh, we have a rhododendron in the rock garden that for two years really hasn't done anything. Okay, it's a puzzle. Why does this rhododendron not? It doesn't die. It doesn't grow. It just likes to hang out. It doesn't quite look very healthy, but it doesn't look really diseased either. It looks like a rhododendron, but doesn't do anything. So it's been a puzzle. What, what is it? 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 And we just recently found out by doing a bit of research, it's beginning to respond to um, a lot of coffee water. You know, from the espresso machine, we collect the water, we pour that on the garden. Well, we've, we've increased its acidity. Yeah? by pouring coffee water in there and uh, also flushing water uh, deep into, it's been very dry this summer, and flushing water deep into the roots. And it seems to look, look healthier, right, within about three days. Yeah, leaves are brighter, more alive, and so on. So the question there is, what's the obstacle for this rhododendron to grow? It just hasn't grown in two years. I put it in. I remember the size of it when I bought it. It was about this big, and it hasn't done a thing. You see? So you could go on like this year after year after year hoping because the other plants are doing well and hoping it's going to flourish and keep hoping because you keep watering it and doing everything like the other plants. But in fact, it just doesn't grow. You see? So the function of the, of the, of the teacher uh, is to ask the question, why is this being... And you too, of course, the student must ask, why is one doing these practices or uh, trying to lead a good life and so on, but there's not really any growth, you see? That's tragic. There should be growth. Why, why shouldn't there be growth in a life? So that's, a, that's an important one to think about. Whereas meditation, um, which is in the tradition of this Sambhogakaya level, the bliss clarity level, uh, requires that there be enough uh, openness, enough freedom in one's life to actually be able to undertake concentration and investigation. Make sense? Okay. So I love this text because it actually highlights um, micro-macro-nutrient micro, deficiencies in a life and what must be gathered uh, for a life of Blessing. Now we need to explore what the word blessing is. So let's let's turn the text. You can ask questions, by the way, if you have any. I need to pin this down because of the wind. 
So the text starts off as the Mangala Sutta. The Sutta means uh, teachings uh, given by the historic Buddha 2,500 years ago. Actually, about 2,550 years to be exact. And it starts off as Ivamme Sutam, which means thus I've heard. So this, this, by tradition, would have been a discourse that Ananda, who is a nephew of the Buddha, uh, heard and memorized. Because in those days, for instance, someone said, what should we do? I think it was, was the holly last night? Said, uh, you know, what should we do? We're in retreat. What should we do tonight? Well, normally what you would do, I didn't mention this, but normally what you do is you'd take the discourse that you heard and you'd actually go and memorize it. Or you take your notes, at least, and you actually study your notes and go, what, what was that talk? What did I hear? What, what did I learn? Did I learn, what three points did I learn? What four points did I learn? So I, I know people that go to Dharma talks. They don't take notes. They listen, they get encouraged, they get excited. And then they, it doesn't go anywhere. Now, I know you're probably looking for your notebook at this point, but, yeah. but, but it doesn't necessarily go very far. And that's because people like to hear Dharma talks, but they don't actually study. That was cool. They don't actually study or work with what they've learned as they would if they were going to develop a career in that. Interesting, eh? I used to, when I, when I uh, hear Dharma talks, I always take, almost always take, not always, but take a little notebook. And even if I write three notes of things I heard in that talk that I want to work with and study, or a few points, I go, I'm going to actually love that text. That's beautiful. I want to go back to that and make a study of it. Or um, get the notes later and, and read it. Or take ten things and go over them again and again and go, what was that about? What was that about? What was that about? Um, I find a lot of people don't do this. So the, the talks, um, which I consider to be valuable, uh, again, like fertilizer, it's like you put fertilizer in the air uh, and it gets taken away by the wind and it doesn't land anywhere. It lands in somebody else's field or lands in the ditch. So, so uh, that's important. So it used to be that uh, people would hear discourses and because of the memorization ability, not, not today. Today we have to use tape recorders, or actually digital recorders, um, but, uh, and, and other devices. But uh, it used to be that people would actually listen. The teacher would, uh, a thousand years ago, would say things three times, over and over, repeat. And then they would get together as a group with a one of the senior instructors, senior teachers, and actually review the discourse. So uh, this, is, this is one of those, which is Ivam Mesutam. That means, thus I have heard. Ivam is a, is, is a wonderful word. We could, we could go into that for, for a couple of hours. Ivam alone. Um, which means, by the way, Ivam is a, one of those hidden words. Uh, it's, it's, it's Avam. In the Vajrayana tradition, it's Avam. A and Vam. Vam is uh, compassion, A is bliss, and, and wisdom. It's wisdom and compassion in unity, Evam. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary word. Evam me sutam, thus I have heard, directly. Ekam samayam bhagava, and so on. I'm, I'm not going to read it all, but um, this is the opening where, where the, um, the blessed one, the exalted one, 
the Buddha was dwelling at the monastery of Antabitika in Jeto's Grove near Savati. Now when the night was far spent, a certain deity, a certain radiant being, whose surpassing splendor illuminated the entire Jeta Grove, came uh, to the presence of the Exalted One, and drawing near, respectfully saluted him and stood at one side. Standing thus, he addressed the Exalted One in verse. So that's beautiful. That doesn't often happen to many people, yes? A radiant uh, being comes down, uh, maybe, or emerges from space and says, uh, please, uh, could you uh, give some teaching? So it doesn't happen to, to uh, too many beings. Um, it does happen occasionally. So I'm, I was, I'm not going to... Uh, it would take too long... We have a whole weekend together. Maybe we'll come back to this. But uh, there's all kinds of wonderful uh, meanings in that first uh, paragraph. But where I want to focus is on the rest of the, uh, the lines here. But I want to turn to the word mangala. And if I can have the, the dictionary. Well, first, first of all, let's look at the translation. Let's look, we'll, we'll, I'll take a look at the, the English translation first because I find that, that fascinating. Before we go any further, the word, the word blessing is one translation of the word of uh, the Pali or Sanskrit word, same in Pali and Sanskrit, mangala, which is almost always translated as blessing or auspiciousness. And it's worth looking that word up in English because some word needs to be translated. Where, where, did, where did this word come from? And it's beautiful where it came from. So you have the word bless, the verb bless. And in Old English, it's uh, blestian or bledstian. And that's B-L-E-D. And that's actually blood. It's cool, isn't it? B-L-E-D is uh, Old Germanic for blood. Yeah, but but it's normally translated bless. It comes from to consecrate, to make holy, to give thanks, and it's from the uh, Proto-Germanic, which is uh, hallowed, sacred with blood, or marked with blood, or anointed with blood, or sprinkled with blood. So now you can see where this is coming from. It's coming from old animal sacrifices both uh, in India, uh, all through the East, and, of course, in the Mediterranean and, and um, uh, all through Europe, which is a very, the old, uh, what, what we today, some of us, not everybody, uh, what became called the pagan religions, which would offer animal sacrifices uh, for blessings, for good omens. Uh, you want to have a good marriage. You want to have um, wealth. You want to have uh, a good crops, yes? Are you doing that in, in, in Winnipeg these days? Do you have somewhere uh, where there's an altar and you're, there's sacrificing animals um, for good crops? No, it doesn't happen anymore, yes? Maybe a little bit? I'm not promoting this, by the way. No, no, I don't think so. You don't hear about this, yes? But at one time, that was very common, yes? At one time, it was very common. Why? Because the blood of humans and, and animals is considered sacred. It's a lifeblood, yeah? So you, whatever, you, it's called magic. You, you, you um, invoke 
that which represents what's happening in the outer, you invoke in the inner. So uh, blood is life. Yeah. So you sprinkle life. Very, very important. You understand that the, the, where the word blessing comes from and what this word actually means. To, to anoint with life. To anoint with blood. Comes from animal sacrifices. The word bless also means uh, uh, chosen, but it's, it's from the Latin, uh, or from the word benediction. You know? So it's a perfect place to teach this. The benediction. And also uh, from the Greek, which is not a direct translation, but it's the word that's usually picked, which is, you know, an eulogy? Eulogy? A eulogy? Which, is, which literally means a good word. So you would say a eulogy over someone perhaps who's passed away or the beginning of an opening ceremony, yes, for something. And that is, the, it literally means the good word. To speak well, to, to praise, to praise about. So the, the closest in Greek is a praise, is good words, good speaking, yeah? good speech. So the, this was, these are the words used in the scriptures from the Greek, uh, the Greek translation of the Testament, of the Old Testament and the Latin translations. So they had to have words, yes? Now, the, what's the word? The word actually for blessing comes from the Hebrew, which is B-R-K. You've, many of you have heard this because I often get <clears throat> almost shoved on me. Have you seen this movie, Barak? Have you? Yeah. I, people come up to me. It's like, first of all, remember years ago, it was what was that, word, that movie? What the bleep do we know? Yeah, so people, have you seen it? I go, no. And then as people would sort of say to me, have you seen it? Of course you've seen it. What do you think about it? Would be, no, and then, then I purposely don't watch it because I want to see how much frustration there is. In what, well, of course you've seen it. You, don't you teach spiritual things? I go, no, I haven't seen it. And they get more and more, well, you should watch it, you know. Why? And then, then later on it became, when the movie Bar- Barack, I think it is, came out, Baraka came out. Have you seen Baraka? No? It's amazing. You should see it. It's, it's so spiritual. Well, why? I can think of a thousand movies. There's, I can actually think of going for a walk. It's spiritual, too. So, but anyways, that's where the word uh, blessing came. It's, it's B-R, in Hebrew, it's B-R-K, which is, we put the vowels in, B, uh, B-H-R-A-K-A, Barak, or Baraka, um, which uh, literally means to bend at the knee. Isn't that neat? To bend at the knee, to to give praise, to worship, to invoke with blessings. And it's very, I think that's very cool. Yeah. So so that's where the word that's that's so the word blessing uh, is the is the if you want the English word that comes close to these words that are found in the Old and the New Testament, which is really to bend at the knee to worship, to give praise, to give honor, and so on. And then later on, in Old English, it shifted to, to, the, word, to the meaning of pronounce, to make happy, uh, to be blissful. So later on it changed, and the meaning changed, to word blessing meaning to be blissful, to be happy, to be 
uh, in good states. So we need to know we need to know why this word is being used, blessing for Mangala. Now, if you're offering an animal sacrifice and you're spilling blood, you're, literally the word means to anoint with blood or to sprinkle. You're asking for blessings. And you're also looking for signs that blessings are occurring. You'll see where, this is t- where I'm going to tie all this in. It's important to understand the origins of this. Uh, where are the signs that a blessing is occurring? So you wouldn't necessarily look inside yourself. What would you do? In olden times, even today, it's still done. It's done in India, other places. Hmm? Yeah, but, but for an animal sacrifice, you look for omens in the way the entrails spill out or the way the birds fly, these, these kinds of things. So you're looking for signs in the environment that the sacrifice has been good. Does it make sense? I don't know if you, you know these things, but that's how it's, how it's done. So we have a word um, which is often to do with blessing, which is one of the translations of Mangala, and I'll, I'll come to that, which is the word auspicious. Have you heard the word auspicious? Yeah, an auspicious blessing, which means a good blessing, not just a blessing, but a good sign, a good omen. Yeah? And this is fascinating. It comes from auspects, which in the 16th century, a 16th century word, auspicious from auspects, which is one who observes the flights of birds, the purposes of making omens. So the word, our word auspiciousness, that is, it was an auspicious act. It was an auspicious situation, right? You're looking for auspicious circumstances. Comes from the 16th century, which is people that would look at the flight of birds to see if the omen, if things are going to be to work out. So we'd have someone on call, yes, to be standing in front of the building looking for the flight of birds to see if this would be a good day, or if this or today would be a good day for a Dharma discourse. Or maybe it would be a, is it a good tomorrow it was tomorrow because the way the ravens or the crows are flying, would tomorrow be a good day or later today be a good day for marriage? Make sense? You look for the omens in the environment. How do we do it today? Maybe open up the newspaper and look at the stock market reading, or maybe the bullion exchange in London or something like that, and go, hmm, will this be a good day uh, to do something? Which way is the stock market going? Or how did it go on the the pegging of gold? Or, you know, that's a joke, but not seeing any laughter at all this morning. So auspiciousness actually comes from the word uh, uh, ornus, you know, um, which is bird, the study of birds, to study birds. But at one time, the study of birds was to see if there was good omens, see if there was auspiciousness. Yeah. Now we have the term what? Ornithology. You know? Ornithology. And uh, also bird to and speck uh, for auspicious, the part of Auspicious, which is speck, uh, is to see, to see birds. So now we have ornithology, which is to study birds. At one time it was to see birds and see which way birds were going and what their flock looked like to see if it was actually auspicious. 
This is all about uh, omens and signs at the outer level to see if the inner level is going to happen. So my reason for doing this is you have to see what, why would we call this sutta the blessing, the blessing sutta? What is a blessing? What is a blessing? What is a blessing? Why mango? Let's look that. Let's look that word up. It's a fascinating word. Uh, first in yeah, first in Pali. By this is a funny dictionary, by the way. Have you noticed this one? Have you looked through this dictionary carefully? Well, uh, the A's don't begin until 17 pages in. So they didn't print the first 17 pages of A. A? You can tell I'm from the Ottawa. I, I spent time in the Ottawa Valley. A? So 17 pages missing. And then you turn a few pages, and lo and behold, you're into the S's, which is at the back of the dictionary. So uh, the printing on this book, um, yes, we have a whole bunch of pages which are S's which is right at the very back of the dictionary. And uh, I have to wonder about the rest of it, but we'll make, make our way through it. Mm -hmm. So Mangala, in, in Pali, the language, the language similar to the Buddha, which is the same in Sanskrit, I wait, by the way. I don't know when. I don't know if you noticed that. If you're wondering why I pause when people do things like drink from their water bottles and sneeze and so on, because um, or do anything, so it's all right. But um, people always drinking from their water bottles. You have to understand that everything you do takes the attention away from everybody in the room. I don't know if you know that, but while that's happening, most people can't actually hear what I say. You you fill it in from memory. It's imagined. So people can't do two things at once sensorily. So if I'm speaking uh, and someone starts guzzling from their water bottle because somehow they feel that they're so dehydrated, uh, I don't know why they, they feel that. Maybe they haven't drunk all morning. But, or move their body or shift their body or uh, fiddle with something. It actually takes almost everybody's attention away, just so you know that, just so you're aware of that. So sometimes I repeat myself because I realized that a whole bunch of people's eyes were actually caught somewhere else because someone moved their foot or shifted their body or um, uh, lifted their water bottle up. So the word mangala, uh, usually translated as auspicious, prosperous, lucky, festive, a good omen, festivity, an auspicious ceremony, to, to be sprinkled with grains. Yeah? It's a perfect place, Winnipeg. Yeah. To be sprinkled with grains. Now that's, that's going to come into um, esoteric, actually good, inner meditation. That means uh, sprinkled with seeds that grow. This is initiation. It means initiation or abhisheka. Um, for luck, for good luck. To get married. And of course, abhisheka for consecration ceremonies for initiation, uh, entering a house, and getting married. So here are the auspicious things. Getting married, a wedding, the abhisheka, which is the consecration for initiation, and the entering of the, of the house. 
the bringing up of a child, and so on. With sacrament, yeah, 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 that's right. Sacred, sacrament, yeah. The, sa- the sacred ceremonies that are really important to a life. Yeah. So if we look it up in Sanskrit, for, thank you. <laughs> that's Pali now into the Sanskrit, just because we get fuller meanings. The, the, the Pali dictionary is, is um, less rich and full. So it's 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 uh, it's good to also look it up in the in the Sanskrit for a fuller meaning. Seven seventy two. So Mangala, uh, happiness, welfare, bliss, anything auspicious, or tending to a lucky issue, prayer, benediction, auspicious ornament or amulet, a festival or any solemn ceremony or important occasions, a good work, a good composition. You you see things like this, for instance, the smell of jasmine, uh, white and blue flowering durva grass, having the scent of jasmine, precious. Just curious about its root, mung. Ah, its root means to go or to move. That should give you a clue. So what is a blessing? Yeah. You can ask yourself, are you moving or are you stuck? Does the ceremony, does the action, does the life, does the activity move or does it keep the same repetitive patterns going again and again and again and again? So the root of auspiciousness here in, in Sanskrit, and the root of blessing is to move, to go forth, to go forward. It also means the head of a boat. And a boat or a ship. Movement, movement. You do, yes. Or you can look up other meanings like the bird flies or the or the uh, the mass breaks. Or you do. You need context. You have to have an, an understanding of, of what it means. But also the beautiful thing about the uh, Pali and Sanskrit about Pali and Sanskrit is in these uh, phrases you also have punning. There's puns, sometimes puns, but also uh, there is um, inner meanings. So sometimes the words are used and they have multiple meanings. So you have to look for that. So it starts off with number one, if you want to look at text. Many deities and men, means many radiant beings and men, yearning after good, have pondered on blessings, pray, tell me the highest blessing. So what's the highest blessing? What's the highest good? What's the highest um, goodness that you can receive? What's the um, best uh, omen for life that you can have? Yeah? Now, do you ever ask this question? It's an important consideration, isn't it? Is it a good life? 
Are there good signs happening? Is there movement forward? You see why I bring these, all, all these things out? If every time, I'm going to use this metaphorically, but since we're also in, a, in this, this, this beautiful building, uh, when you walk into your cathedral, the house, is it blessed? Is it a blessed house that you carry around? Is it a blessed mind that you carry around? Is the cathedral in a good state? Is the cathedral in a quality of beauty that it can receive blessings? Or is the house so out of order that it's just not going to receive blessings no matter what? It's not going to have good signs. Bahu Deva Manusa Cha Mangalani Jintayam Akam Manta Sotanam Bruhi Mangala Mutanam. Let's take a look at that because it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, um, um, all kinds of beautiful meanings in here. Uh, bahu in the, in the Pali is, is great or, or very great. A Dewa is a radiant being. Uh, Manusa. Is a, is a ma'man, is men. It refers not just to men, but to women as well, all, all human beings. Uh, Mangalani is, again, blessing. Achintayam is to not thought of or inconceivable. But if you look at this word, uh, if you look at this line, uh, many, many have pondered on blessings. What's the nature of blessings? And pray, tell me, what is the highest uh, blessing? Now, that word highest, which is, um, you see, if you see at the, on the first line there, do you have a copy there, Raphael? You don't? Is there extra? Is that good? Be very careful about translations. Sometimes they, they have to pick one word. But in the picking of that one word, they miss something that's absolutely essential. So, so we have, at the end here, we have bruhi. Mangala mutanam. So mutanam is, is muti. Mutanam is muti. M-U-T-T-I. Which actually means freedom or release. It means liberation. It's being translated here as highest blessing. As highest. Uh-uh. You can translate it that way. But it's missing something that's really, really important is what is liberation? What is freedom? So the translator picked a very, if you want, should I say colloquial or, let me be polite about it, pedestrian way of translation, which is highest, but in fact the word means freedom. It means total release, muti. The muti maga is a very famous text. The Muti Maga is the oldest uh, meditation text, complete meditation text in the world. It's, 18, it's at least 1,800 years old. And it's the distillation of, of the entire Buddhist tradition of the, 40, of the 38 classic meditations. There's only 38 in those days. The entire way of life, of leading a, a holy life, and all the insight meditations of that time. And that text is called the Vimuti, Muti Maga. The path of freedom. So this this word here, 
is saying, what is the blessing that is freedom? What's the blessing that's liberation, not what's the highest blessing? There's two, there's two meanings. What's the highest blessing, and what is the blessing that confers freedom? You see why this, to me, is an important text. You could re easily read this and just chant it and go, ah, you know, beautiful, beautiful, ah, lovely, let's, let's hear what the blessings are. But it means what is the blessing that leads to actual liberation and freedom? Yes? Could you say that again? What is the highest blessing versus what? You could say, if you just say what's the highest blessing, it misses the importance of that word muti, which, which not just means highest, but means freedom, release. Right? This is typ typical of Pali and Sanskrit is there's multiple meanings and you need to know the multiple meanings. If you don't know the multiple meanings, you pick one meaning and you've actually lost the import of it. Just like when we use English words or any language, you pick one word, you've lost the play and the, the feeling of that word and all of its ramifications. So as a translator, I know because sometimes I translate, I'm not, a, I'm not a professional translator, I'm not crude amateur translator sometimes. It's true. It's not, a, it's not something I picked uh, to do uh, in life and, and get deep into uh, being a good translator. But uh, I've realized you know, it's very tough to translate. You have to pick one word. So it means, tell me, what is the uh, total, the totality blessing? What's the blessing of freedom? Towards freedom. What what actually leads what actually leads towards? Uh, remember, uh, what a blessing means to move. What actually moves towards freedom, and what doesn't? This is very important. There's quite a difference then in terms of whether it's a thing or an action. Yes. Right? Yes. It's totally different. Totally different. Yeah. So yearning after good. Now that that yearning after good. Uh, is important is those that wish to have goodness in their life. You know? um, yeah, because of this with the dictionary, I'm not sure what that is. Kamanta. But uh, yearning after the good, uh, ask yourself the question. These are these are questions you can ask today in retreat. I'm gonna I'm going to. Um, give a pause this afternoon and let you uh, go off and uh, ponder blessings. I'm going to give you some, some exercises to do. But uh, what is good in your life? By the way, you don't, you don't have to do a, a Western hatchet job. That means uh, go off and take the knives out and uh, self-immolate because you go, oh, I'm bad, and so on. This is, this is a very big pastime in the Western mind, maybe in the Eastern mind too now. But, uh, oh gosh, am I really have a bad life? No, you have to actually now, I want, so I'll, I'll talk about it now. Is this afternoon, at least spend an hour on this, at least an hour, is look at what is blessed in your life. I really mean it. I've, I've done this many times in my life, and I've, I've been very fortunate to have Namjoon Rinpoche um, give us this task to do. And matter of fact, one time, that's lovely. Um, spent days going back in my life and recording all the blessings. 
of an entire life. Every being that contributed to goodness of this being. A lot of people don't know this. How many beings, who were they, that contributed to the good qualities of this being? Instead of focusing on how many people, which ones, did me in? It's a corrective. A big corrective. So you've heard the expression, count your blessings? This is the exercise of counting your blessings. Do you know your blessings? Or, oh yes, I'm blessed. That's not good enough as far as I'm concerned. In the tradition of Buddha Dharma, not only do you need to feel, but you need to know why you feel. It's the difference. Um, as the Buddha said, not only do you need to become enlightened, you need to know if you're enlightened. Yeah. My teacher was that way too. Do you know if you're enlightened? Do you know if there is enlightening? Do you know if there is liberation? What are the factors of liberation? Are the signs there? Or is it, I feel good. Life's good. Why? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to ride on that crest? Or do you feel that all life is bad for you? I'm being extreme here. But actually, it's important to know where your talents lie. Where's the goodness in your being? And not just go, well, I'm, I'm, that's, that's me. No, it's not you. Who contributed to that goodness? Who gave you blessings? They may also have given you non-blessings. But a lot of people gave you blessings. Where did they come from? So you notice I haven't told you now to look at all the things that have negatively happened in your life. Forget it. Don't need to. That's for some other time. Right? That just goes down a path of, of negativity. But, but actually, on a piece of paper, list what has come together that's good and when did it occur. The school teacher in grade three. The person that taught you how to read. the person that maybe taught you how to feel, you know, the person that taught you how to think, a parent that, that gave you a lesson that you've never forgotten that's been important for your life. Yeah? Yeah, it's very important. See how you're built. The good parts, not the negative parts. The good parts. The blessings. The blessings. So I like this this. I like this opening line here. This is beautiful. I'm going to turn it around a little bit. But you see where it says, pray tell me. Now this is putting, if it says, pray, there's no such thing, pray tell me. This is, this is um, uh, if you want, I don't, mind, I don't mind it, but it is um, early translation with a Christian bent, making it sound uh, Old Testament. So you, you come across translations, not today so much, but early translations, that give Buddhist writing a uh, Old Testament or New Testament feel. Uh, it's not in there, believe me. Okay, the the word is uh, is um, a bruhi, which means tell me, tell me. It's an actual uh, command, uh, which is 
Uh, you often find this in Vajrayana text too, and they often put the word pray or something like that. There's, there's nothing in there. It's just, uh, tell me. I want the following. It's a, it's, a, it's a polite demand, which is, tell me what the answer is. Yeah? So this is a radiant being with guts. All right? Now, it's radiant because the mind's radiant. Knows what it wants and is asking for clarification. And you often read this in the suttas um, from the Buddha where people would go to the Buddha and say, uh, tell me what your opinion is on this. Tell me what you have to say about this. It's good. It's good. I hope you do the same thing. It's healthy. What do I do about this? What is the answer to this? Not even necessarily the answer. What is your opinion of this? I know people that go to Eastern very or not just Eastern, to Lama, and waste their time. They absolutely waste their time when they should be asking really fundamental questions, really important questions to their being. To their being. So tell me, what is the highest blessing? So number two, the first highest blessing. Now, if we take this to be Take it back to the word. Uh, take it back to the origin of the word blessing. It is what is the highest anointing? What's the highest initiation? What's the highest sprinkling of grains for fertility? What's going to fertilize the mind? Did you get the idea? So when you when you when you see Mangala, realize it's it's what's going to actually fertilize the mind. So it's going to unfold. It's going to actually bring about auspicious changes. That's beautiful. Not to associate with fools. To associate with the wise and to honor those who are worthy of honor. This is the highest blessing. So we see here... uh, We have a word which is balanam. Let's look that up. Beautiful. Balanam. We'll go right to, we'll go right to the Sanskrit. Same, same in Sanskrit. Yeah. So the word that the translator picked is fool. Yes? The foolish? Let's find out. Let's find out the range of meanings. Young, childish, infantile, not grown up or developed. Let me repeat that. Young, childish, infantile, not full grown or developed. It's good. Newly risen early as the sun or its rays. Ignorant, simple, foolish.
by the way, it's the same as the word vala. You'll see that B's and V's are, are often uh, interchangeable. So the same as vala. As vala. Depends on the dialect. To see if there's any difference in, in uh, meaning there. It's helpful. The Sanskrit dictionary looks like it's all in order. Mind you, it's a lot thinner than mine, so I don't know if they've, they've cut down on pages. Maybe they've taken some pages out. That'd just save on paper, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's a joke. take pages out. Well, it makes the text lighter for sending in the mail, doesn't it? By the way, it has a different different spelling, but the word bala, by the way, um, when it's uh, uh, without without the I think it's without the long a, means power. You know? so this is the opposite. This is this is a being that lacks power. And and good power. So bala, b a l a in Pali and Sanskrit, uh, is a powerful being that has worthy, wholesome powers. So these are beings, if you want, it's the opposite, which is beings that actually uh, don't have wholesome power. So we could use the word foolish, but we can also use the word ignorant. Uh, the, the Buddha, let's look at here. The Buddha was actually using it technically. Um, he was referring to also Pathujana. Childish, infantile, ignorant. Uh, often referred to as childish or ignorant in a moral sense. Uh, amoral beings. Beings that actually are uh, unethical beings. Pathugena. Which is beings of sticky, sticky, lumpy dough. Spiritually blind. Interesting, eh? Spiritually blind. Stupid. Mentally dull. Confusion. There's another meaning for it. Confusion. 
and also related words such as badati, which is to oppress, to afflict, to hurt, to injure. Yeah? So, now it's easy to see what that means. If you are surrounded by uh, individuals or society that's afflictive, hurting, oppressive, ignorant, immoral, immoral, and that is your guiding light, that is your environment that's uh, your macro and micronutrients, what are you soaking up? What's your map? What's your map of freedom? What's your map of happiness? I think it's quite straightforward. And this is a very simple, simple but elegantly clear text. So here's another, here's another task for you. Now take a look at the life, your life now, or even the last couple of years, and go, and just very honestly, are you uh, soaking in uh, not just foolish, but types of conditioning and types of messages into your being that are actually poisoning the being or stunting the growth like a rhododendron that doesn't go anywhere. Is the alkalinity or acidity of the environment not the right one for growth? So you say, well, but I'm, maybe if I meditate more. You have to understand how it works. How does a human being uh, speak? How does it walk? How does it move? How does it act? It acts by the stories and the messages and the history of that being. What's your history? So if you're soaked in a world or soaked in too many beings that are not supportive of liberation. Because you have to remember what's the blessing, right? Freedom. And the messages are that you get happiness from this, you get happiness from that, and so on. And they're actually foolish statements. Where you, where's the being going to go? It's actually poisoned. It's like sitting in the, in the rock garden in, an, in a pH of, what was it, 6.5? Right. In a pH of 6.5, and it turned out it wasn't acidic enough for a rhododendron. We were feeding it. Too, it was in too alkaline soil. What's your soil like? So I'd like you to write that down this, for this afternoon. What is your soil like? Are you growing a good plant? You may not even know that you're not. Because I know people tell me, oh, yes, 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 of course. I'm, I'm, I'm in a very good relationship. I'm in a very good, I work in a very good place and all this sort of thing. And in fact, uh, it's so taxing, the life, that one hour of meditation is, is like, um, would be like, like dropping a, a drop of, uh, of um, hydrochloric acid in the soil. Yes? Or a drop of, of, uh, of coffee water in the soil and expecting it to do any good. Do you see what I'm getting at with, with being fairly polite? That would be like living in a toxic soup, which the rhododendron is living in, yes? 
and occasionally getting a little bit of, of uh, acidity and not going anywhere and wondering, what. but I do an hour of meditation a day. But I, 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 I go to a Dharma talk once a week. But I, I go to the occasional empowerment. I, but I, I read some Dharma books. But what's the mind doing for the rest of the day? What's it inhabiting? What world sphere is that mind inhabiting? And what kind of nutrient is it getting? That's why this, 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 te- this, why, that's why this sutta is so important. Because for a lot of people, they simply don't know how to gather blessings. They do not know how to gather blessings. But where do they come from? I think they come from inside, from you. Like, this isn't good enough, or something like that. Does it come from your own? Yes, but what would happen happen if you you put yourself into an environment by people that that aren't like that? They're just not like that. Over time, what happens? You soak that up. Over time, you get positive messages coming in from them. And you start just... the negative messages... Yes. That's right. But where do those internalized messages come from? This particular society. People in society in the past. Yep. Your parents, your teachers, your the kids you hang out with, the society, and so on, for sure. Yes. First of all, before we come into teachings of mind only, we better step back into relative, uh, clear understanding of interdependent origination of how things get built. How does something get built? There's no you separate from your environment. It doesn't exist. Your mind is your environment. Now, we could do something which I've done before. Maybe we, sh- we, we should do it, but, but uh, I, think we, I think I passed today a store that sells magazines. Is it on Portage? Oh, Portage. Yes, Portage. Portage. Yeah, Portage. Portage. Yeah, I think it's Dominion News. It'd be worth going into Dominion News and just making a study of the magazines and the most popular magazines and what the messages are. It's worth listening to the radio. It's worth opening up a newspaper. It's worth opening up the internet to Google or to Yahoo and actually looking at what the messages are, looking at the billboards. What are they saying? What are they really saying? In the United States, this is about 10 years old or 15 years old, but in the United States, the average number of messages that a normal human being is bombarded with by advertising is 3,000 messages a day. 3,000 messages a day are going in there and landing through television, radio, 
magazines, newspapers. And you really should know what that feed, what that, it's like having a garden and what you're putting into the garden every day, what the water's like, what the fertilizer's like, what's fertilizing this organism. So you think it's you. It's not. It simply isn't. It just isn't. This is where, uh, if I may, I'm going to be... Anybody, any psychotherapist in the room? Oh, that's too bad. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. There's a beautiful book. I've quoted this a number of times. Well, I had one of the funniest times of my life up in the Canadian Arctic. I was in Cambridge Bay uh, uh, going to observe a jewelry course that I was running and, and uh, giving a, a course on, on gem cutting in Cambridge Bay, and we had a three-day storm, which means you don't leave. The wind howling, three-day storm. And someone gave me a book, or recommended a book. I had a book. And it was called A uh, Hundred Years of Psychotherapy and the World's Getting Worse. <laughs> and and the, book's, the book's written by one of the most eminent psychotherapists ever, which is James Hillman, right? One of the last of the great Jungian therapists. And this book is hilarious. And it's, it's very funny. It's worth reading. I, I laugh my guts out. So the storm started at about 8 o'clock at night. And it was rocking the house. It was on piles, of course. It was like this, boom, 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 boom. And I just took the book and I, okay, blast back. I put on, um, I think it was a series of Beethoven symphonies. Put my feet up on the couch and thought, okay, we'll be here for a couple of days. And started reading this, this wonderful book by James Hillman, laughing my guts out. Uh, and, and I think I read till 4 o'clock in the morning. I read the whole book through. And I, this is fantastic. But um, you have to understand, the, the tradition... And by the way, I have a great respect for psychotherapy, so let me, let me be very clear about that. But you have to understand, there is a culture uh, of the, the psychoanalytic culture that's been fed into all of us, which, which has gotten in, which you have to understand, it's, it's, it's a view, which is somehow these things, one, they came from somewhere, but they're yours. And this, this view, excuse me, is extremely misguided. They're not yours. You may be carrying them around and fostering them now. But you really have to understand the culture and the history and the time that you grow up and what's shaping being. What's the shaping? What's the major shaping? And you have to understand, what's the major shaping of this culture? To understand, why are you thinking and feeling the way you are right now? which has been going on for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, 70 years. What, what is it? What's the major shaping of this culture? Not good enough. Not good enough. Now, what's going to make you happy? Buying things. Buying things. Buying things. Buying things. Day in, day out. And what's the message that you get bombarded with? Yeah, but what is it? What's, what's the product message? Anybody here a marketer? Buy this and you'll be happy. It's very simple. External things make you External people make you happy. Talking on your cell phone and chatting makes you happy. Having a better cell phone makes you happy with cool apps and all kinds of things, yes? Yeah. You deserve this cell 
yeah, you deserve to sell. This is, but the word deserve means this is what you should spend your money on. Yeah. It's, another, it's a coded message for you're worthy to spend your money on this. This is a wonderful product, and I'll make you happy. Yes. By the way, this hasn't changed. The looking for external objects of desire to make the organism feel happy has been going on for thousands of years. It hasn't changed. But they've upped the ante, okay? There is so much money available, so much richness available, that now it's, it's a culture, a cult, culture, a cult, a religion of what? Buy it and you'll be happy. Buy it and you'll be happy. I, I've told this story many times, but it was profound for me. Uh, I was with someone who's, who's studying with me, and um, been studying, they've been studying Dharma for many years uh, with, another, with some other teachers. And they, they asked, could I take you, I, I was taking a flight somewhere, could I take you to the airport? I said, sure, great. Okay, so got in the car, drove me to Toronto Airport, and uh, it turned out we were very early for the plane. They said, well, would you like to stop where? Stop somewhere. And I said, well, where would you like to? And they said, oh, I'd like to stop at the uh, Yorkville Shopping Center. Could I just do a bit of shopping? I said, sure, sure, sure. Look around. I think it was just so early that we had hours. So they got out, and they were in the Yorkville Shopping Center. And uh, I remember going by a, um, a shoe store. And they said, oh, could I just stop there for a bit? Do you mind if I go in? It was a Prada, Prada shoes. I said, no, no problem. I'll go over to Holt Renfrew or something, look at the men's section. And I remember coming back and going, this is taking a long time. So I went in the Prada shoes. And the, the, the person uh, who was with me had just bought a pair of Prada. I said, so how was it? Good, good, lovely. And I said, how much, I'm just curious, how much did you spend? I spent $500 on a pair of shoes, which is not unusual, I don't think, for Prada shoes. So $500. I said, so is that going to make you happy now? They said, yeah, but for about 24 hours. But it was such a clear recognition of what they were doing. And then she takes them back. Hmm? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> this person didn't have to take them back. But, but... It was such a clear recognition of the addiction to the purchasing of an object, in this case shoes. It could have been clothing, it could have been for a male, it could have been cars, or it could have been, uh, um, uh, what, Swiss army knives, you know, who knows, whatever, a gadget, going to, you know, uh, what is it, um, home hardware for tools, you know. You go to the tool section, wow, <laughs> look at that. Yeah, boy, there's a bigger grinder on sale. Yeah, there's a, you know, a Ryobi uh, hammer drill. I could have now a hammer drill. It's a bigger, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a half-inch hammer drill. I don't have a half-inch hammer drill. Whoa, and it's cool looking. It's got lights on it, too. And it's rechargeable. Or a Sawzall. Oh, God, if I had a Sawzall, look at the things I could do with a Sawzall. And it's on sale. I could save money. Yeah, if I, yeah I, it's, it's worth buying. But this was such a this was powerful to me to watch a person who actually knew what they were doing, but the addiction was still there, and to get a temporary high. Yes, temporary high. So you have to realize what happens is now if you go into retreat, and you're this is why a lot of people and some of you will not go into retreat or don't want to go into retreat. I mean a real retreat. This is a weekend retreat. This is different. But go into a three month retreat or a month retreat, or longer in a room which 
doesn't have all this and no internet, no eBay. Oh, sorry, okay, so not even a laptop. You're, now you can use your iPhone, yes? You can shop with your iPhone. Uh, no stores to shop and so on. No being bombarded by messages. What's, what messages do you have that are coming out? Only the ones that you have circulating, yes? And you want to let them come out, let them release, release, unwind. Yeah? Well, what's it like when you've had 30 years or 20 years of being bombarded by messages of how to be happy and you don't even know it's 3,000 messages a day? Probably for us, some of us, it's not 3,000, is it? Exactly. But, but some of you, it's probably not. It's probably 1,000 <laughs> or 500. But what happens after a while, even after two or three months of being a society? You don't even notice it anymore. But it's getting in there. Everywhere you turn. Billboards. Turn on the radio. Read a newspaper. Magazine. Yes. Television. And after a while, I don't even know where the messages are coming from. So please... Uh, thinking and believing it's your problem, that's, it is your problem, but it's your doing, is absolutely foolish. Right? But if you know what's happening to you, and you have some awareness, and you're a being that wants blessings, and you're a being that wants the yearning for the good, yearning for a good life, then it's your responsibility to free yourself of that. Does that mean that you isolate yourself? You never come back to the city? You always stay in retreat? No. You have to understand, though, what it's doing. How things, right, Stephanie? How things are built. How did this room get built? Let's be really clear on this. How did this room get built? Did it magically appear? No. How about right now? It's built in your mind, yes? But it's because somebody conceived this conceived it, birthed it. An architect actually had to plan it. There was a committee, I suspect, of Mennonites that said, this is what we'd like to see. We had an architect or architects that brought back and forth drawings, yes? But where is it coming from? From the mind of, be of beings that built this, right? And construction workers. What's now interacting with your consciousness. It's dual. It's dual. There is no separation between uh, this and this. There's no separation. Zero separation. And we have been seeped, seeped, I like that word, souped, seeped in a culture of messages and buildings, which is building up our nervous system for decades. Decades and decades and decades. So when it says, what is the highest blessing? What is the highest blessing to most people? Sort that out. So I'd like you to write down, if you will, this afternoon, what do you feel? Where do you seek happiness? Where do you actually go for blessings? And some of you are Dharma students, yes? All of you? Study Dharma. So you will probably say, well, I seek blessings in Dharma. But have you all your life? 
And, and, and even though you call yourself perhaps a student of Dharma, a student of so-and-so, or a student of, of Buddhism, or whatever it is, is that really what you have confidence in for your happiness, or do you still default? Is that clear to you? Do you still default to the things that temporarily give one happiness, but actually don't? Like an addict that constantly goes, aha, that feels good. Aha, that feels good. So another way of saying this is write down and go, what is feeding me? What's really feeding me? What's sustaining me? Yeah? What am I pulling in? What am I soaking in as fertilizer? Micro and macronutrients. Identify them. And that has to be worked out too, exactly. So there's a, there's a, there's, that's very worthy to write down. Write down what what do you mean? What what do you mean by happiness? What do you see happiness as? I very much doubt for many people it's the word muti. The word what? Muti, freedom. No. I doubt it. But it's boutique. Boutique. <laughs> yes. For for fifteen or fifteen or twelve beings in a room, it's always amazing how how a uh, a, a talk a Dharma talk is interpreted. <laughs> and I'm in I'm in Canada, just just wait till I go overseas. It's quite something. Try it in Germany or in in France or in. Well, I was wondering whether the person who bought the Prada shoes realized it when she bought them or after when you asked the question because. I would, I, would, I would say this person, from knowing them fairly well, uh, was of a dual mind there, knew what they were doing, but uh, didn't really have a choice in the matter. She clearly didn't choose to take you to a park? No, no, no. It was the Yorkville Shopping Center. Yeah, Yorkville Shopping Center. Now, one, 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 pardon? It doesn't matter if she buys the shoes or not. It's something. It's something. Shoes, uh, for that person, at that moment, was the happiness fix at that, at that moment. Okay? Now, you may say this is unusual, but uh, as uh, Stephanie pointed out, I think yesterday, driving me in, that, that uh, uh, you will find out that if you're very, very quiet, and you actually watch the, uh, the physical sensations and the mental formations. Uh, and I'd like you to try this. It's called insight meditation. Is uh, how often does the consciousness actually reach out for a happiness fix? How many times a day would you say that the consciousness reaches out for any kind of happiness, elating, elating fixation? Elating a some sort of joy, happiness uh, moment, either on an internal fantasy or an external object. 
person, place, or thing. How many would you say, how many times a day would you say that happens? Thousands? Yeah. yeah. But have you actually examined it to know that's actually what the conscious is doing? So one of the one of the, the teachings in the tradition of Buddha Dharma is the is the classification of a human uh, as a desire being. Have you heard this before in teachings? The classification as a human, manusa, or uh, as a desire being, a being that must desire. It desires objects incessantly, sensory objects. like that. Hearing, tasting, hearing, tasting, smell, tasting, hearing, tasting. Yeah? And you actually have to experience what that's doing to the nervous system. Incessantly needing, needing some sort of elating moment, even if it's hurting the organism. Mm -hmm. Some sort of elating moment to feel good about oneself and about life. This is fact. This is fact. Another way of saying this, and some neurophysiologists have been very clear about this, the human being is wired for addiction. It's wired for addiction. Every single person is addicted to something or some things. Everybody. It's an addictive brain. And that's not to be negative. There's reasons for that. Okay? I don't want to go into the evolutionary history of the human brain. But it's wired for pleasure. Have you noticed that? The human organism is wired, deeply wired for pleasure. It seeks pleasure all the time. And it will seek it in anything eventually. In anything at all. Because it needs pleasure. So another way of, of phrasing or another way of framing this... Just, just back framing this discourse is do you know what pleasure, what things, what activities lead to freedom or are all the activities leading to another high, another temporary moment of elation or feeling good? But what is it that actually leads to freedom, the good, not a good, the good, the blessing. This is very important. Yes. So do you know that whatever that you're being is, looking for, whatever you're looking for, that whatever that you're being is looking for or wants, and you know it's not really that good for you, so where do you put your attention or how do you shift from that, you know, that bag of chips is really no good for you, but you want it so badly? And it's designed, and by the way, it's, it's designed to make you eat the entire bag. <laughs> the ratio of fat, salt, fat, salt, and carbohydrate, which what is it? There's three of them that come together into a perfect graph of, of sorry, triggers the brain to go one more, one more, one more, one more, one more, one more. So you're asking a very important question, which comes down to meditation, comes down to mindfulness is strengthening the mindfulness and the awareness to the point to actually see 
and experience the sensations of that and not actually split it off as a mental construct. So we'll get into that. If you can raise that question again, because um, it's absolutely essential. But first of all, you have to recognize, you have to actually, we need to go, what are blessings? What's good? What's good for the organism? So why the potato chips? By the way, I, 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 I can't, unfortunately. I love potatoes. I have to go for corn chips. Corn chips. But why, why, the, why the chips? It's simply, uh, unless you're eating a few. You go, oh, those are delicious. But do you eat a few? It doesn't stop. Even though yeah. I pay for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a crunch fast, good, good pun. They, they design them. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah, I've read all about, it, about the designing of potato chips. It's marvelous science. Because it's worth millions, isn't it? Not billions. It's worth a lot of money. So yes, I'm going to definitely address that. But first of all, I want to start from the sort of the top down, if you wish. So that's actually a lovely question because uh, does, your, does your organism, does your being have enough mindfulness and awareness to know that which is good and that which is unwholesome? We're not even talking about evil here. Potato chips aren't evil. Right? They're actually delicious if, if you have a few. How many beings would you say, you don't have to put your hand up, would say, actually know, have the awareness to know that which is nourishing, that which is wholesome, and that which is unwholesome. Not many, actually, as it turns out. So the Buddha was once asked, you want to hear this? You want, I mean, you've probably heard this, but you don't you know, believe this. The Buddha was once asked, what is enlightenment? Actually, a number of times. And he made a very clear statement. He said, I know that which is pleasant for that which is unpleasant. So the potato chip actually, with moderation, is pleasant. The potato chip in immoderation is unpleasant, but the nervous system simply doesn't want to stop and says, this is delicious. I really feel good, yes? Meanwhile, the organism is screaming at you, right? It's screaming, saying, stop now, you'll feel terrible later. You've all had this experience? Stop now, you'll feel terrible later. You're going to be wiped out, you're so, and so on and so on and so forth, right? So what is it about not listening to an organism that's very intelligent and says, stop, please? Yeah. So what is the highest blessing? It says it right in this first statement. The highest blessing is freedom. Freedom from this incessant desire mind that must have at all costs. The industry that sells you products is not evil. It's addicted to selling products, just as we are addicted to buying products. It's a highly addictive brain. You have to understand that. And the only way you're going to grok that, do you know what I mean, grok? Really get it 
is you have to have enough time in retreat to experience what it's like to have incessant desire after objects, sensory experience, internal, external sensory experience, moment after moment after moment after moment after moment after moment, and see that this, this is actually um, a totally, it's not totally, but a locked-in experience. And then what's freedom? Coming out of that. Coming out of that. You actually don't have to buy into these messages. You can actually relax into it and see, see it what it is. So the first line tells the entire story, right there. It's typical of great Buddhist texts, even the title. The highest blessing is freedom. Then you have to find out what freedom is. And where do you find the freedom? It's right there, the beginning. Associate with the wise and don't associate with the ignorant. That means you have to up the up the wise factor. Yes. Yeah, with this definition of wise, what percent of people are wise? You tell me. Like, uh, I would say, like statistically speaking, you will probably end up with, at, 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 in your work environment at least, with many unwise people. Many, many unwise people. So, do we have that capacity? What is, what is the point when we are capable enough to, to be mindful when there are so Good, you've nailed it. It's very difficult. You have to learn. You have to actually see how difficult it is to be a practitioner of Dharma and enter into the fray uh, with um, beings that are really actually... Um, not wise. Very good, nice people, but not wise. And realize that that's your soup that you live in for eight hours a day. That's the soup. Eight hours, right? It means it's everything else, too, that's yep. bombarding us. Maybe yeah. the work portion, but then that's every other aspect. So the question then is how do you increase the number of moments in a day or in your week? where you're actually associating with the wise. Either wise, wise words, wise phrases, wise activity, and wise beings. Increasing it. Increasing it. Now, sometimes we have practices where we go into places if we are strong. We have good merit. That's another, another maybe subject for tonight is about merit. How do you become strong? But we do have practices called the Haruka practice in Vajrayana where you actually purposely go into very difficult situations to increase your, um, your strength and your capacity by being with fools. But you have, to, you have to know the difference. And you actually have to have some wisdom there yourself. And then you can test yourself and use, utilize those difficult situations. So you're raising really great questions. These are marvelous. You're absolutely correct. By the way, the situation isn't hopeless. 
but you should recognize how difficult it is for many people because of the um, soup they're living in. And then I get told things like this. I get all these statements. Well, I can't do anything about it because that's where I work. I can't do anything about it because that's the family I'm in. I can't do anything about it because that's who my partner is. I can't do any, I can't, I can't, I can't. So you have to hear the words of the student. As, as my teacher used to say, Here's a, here are the standard words and phrases of how you can tell a student of Dharma, student. I can't, I won't, I shouldn't, I shall not. And I'm going to resist you entirely. Those, those are the phrases. So listen to the words going constantly. I can't, I shouldn't, I won't, I could not, I will not, yeah, change. So if you have an environment that's toxic, I suggest you change if you can't handle it. And if you, and then try to find, if you're going to work, I hope you work, I mean, some of us actually have to work, uh, find an environment where you are surrounded, if not by wise people, good people. I have been, by the way. I've, I've, I've been very fortunate to have jobs, uh, employment, where I've surrounded myself with really good beings. Why? Because I could handpick them as employees. Marvelous. Marvelous times in my life where I was given the funds and the opportunity to actually handpick uh, staff one by one by one and be surrounded by actually really lovely, really lovely people. Not to say wise in terms of wisdom, but really good beings, on about good things. And I've had the opposite, where I've put myself, taken jobs, where it's hell. It literally is hell. We're talking about seriously deluded beings all day. And boy, were those good jobs. They were great. They were some of the best, best retreats I've ever done in my life. I'm not kidding you. Should I tell you a funny story? I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, what was this? Probably 1999, 1998. Uh, I was, um, for summer, or part of the summer, I was taking some, some time off, some holiday time from the Arctic. I was working in the Arctic. And uh, I went to the Dharma Center of Canada as a resident teacher, which I would do from time to time. They invited me down for the summer, for part of the summer, to be a resident teacher. So I said, sure, for I think three weeks or a month. I went down for my summer holiday there. And at the end of it, uh, my dear beloved uh, root teacher, Namaste Rinpoche, shows up uh, suddenly. I think he wanted to go home or something like that. And uh, um, he said, come on in the car. Let's, let's, uh, I haven't seen you for a while. Let's get in the car. I'll come on back for a uh, stay at my place. So I said, sure. And uh, got in the car. He says, you know, you've been up in the Arctic for a while. What, what, what do you have any plans? Are you, are you thinking of coming down? And he must have known. I said, because he knew I bought, I, he heard I bought a house in, in Nelson, British Columbia. Uh, and I said, uh, yep, yep, pretty soon. He said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm planning to uh, do a one-year retreat. He said, oh, very good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I could tell by that tone. You know, very good. Mm-hmm. I, I knew immediately there was a, a tone. And he said, uh-huh, that's, that's worthy. You know, that's, that's worthy. Mm-hmm. And it was for me. I was going, hmm, this would be good. He said, what else is, you know, happening? What's percolating? What, what other things are you thinking about? Well, I said, I've been offered, recently been offered um, a job where, the, where my new house is. Uh, and it's the, uh, being a director for a, um, an art school. He said, tell me more. Tell me more. So I, I told him that, by the way. And I told him that the, some of the faculty who work for me in the Arctic said, don't touch this with a 10-foot pole. 
you'll be sorry. Don't, don't even go near this. Don't, don't do this in a million years. And if you do, we're going to take you out and get you stone drunk <laughs> the day before you sit because it's going to be hell for you. You have no idea what you're walking into. So I, I told him, he said, I, he said uh, no, I think you should do that. I said, well, you know, but it's a national competition. He says, you're going to win it. It's okay, you'll win it. National competition. He said, go for that one. Go for that one. Over the one-year retreat, go for that one. But it was one of the best two year, two and a half. The contract was three years. Did everything I said I would do for the board in, in two and a half, and I left. Got out. And that was one of the best retreats I've ever done. Because every day I treated it as a meditation retreat. And it was fantastic. It was extraordinary. It was very difficult. With difficult minds, difficult financial situation. Uh, the, the, the second week on the job, I got a call from the ministry from the deputy minister, deputy minister saying, I'd like to come meet you. And in my office in two weeks saying, we're going to be cutting your funding, by the way. Your, your funding is illegal, just to let you know that, that we're going to be cutting it off. We're going to give you about a year, and your funding is illegal. always has been illegal, but we've decided that's the end of an illegal funding um, system. And then three weeks in was uh, a notice that the school is going to be unionized. So, so, so one thing after another, after another, after another. Uh, but, but that turned out to be a wonderful challenge and a wonderful adventure. So um, it's not always um, the wrong thing to do. It depends on your mental strength. It depends on what your attitude. Where you start from, what your That's right. That's right. That's right. So you have to ask the question, are you strong enough to withstand that bombardment? Uh, for instance, someone recently told me, um, I have a student who's working in a construction site. And has studied Dharma for many, many years and has done construction before. And told me that the new person he's working with, he finally discovered how to relate to this person. As long as he calls them, you F bastard. The guy likes it. See, so he's trying to be nice and friendly. He finally decided this person's really quite aggressive. But when he said, the guy loves it. Just loves it. And they can talk like that to each other. Fucking bastard. Fucking bastard. All day long. Fucking bastard. Fucking bastard. Is it? But he had to find that, that, that way in. Now he goes, oh, the guy's really happy. He likes to work with me. He thinks I'm great, you know? Because I call him fucking master. Yeah, is it diluted? Seriously. Seriously. So what do you need to do? You have to up the moments of wise feed. You have to find out what's the right macro and micronutrients and up the feed, up the dosage level of, of, be, of finding wise beings that you actually are actually wise and spending time with them. Yeah. And doesn't it also maybe involve changing your own inner mindset? Like to be, instead of focusing on negative and paying attention to whatever negative message might come, that you change your being over and 
start thinking about yourself in a positive way and focusing on positive messages. Because I know I'm quite apt to ignore three to five positive messages that pay a lot of attention to the one negative bar coming my way. So, I mean, you're, what you conceive of as a negative environment might actually be a fairly positive environment if you change your mindset towards paying attention to the... I, I, I agree entirely. I agree entirely, but I'm just, I'm not there yet. That's all. I agree ent entirely with you. But you have to build the strength to do that. So that's why we're starting with this. So it's all about where are you going to get the strength to even do that. Like, for instance, it's the same as eating potato chips. It's a marvelous test. Can you eat half a bag of potato chips, which is the same? Can you listen to those good messages? Or do you keep going to the negative ones? So there's a very good yogic test for you. So you can get that. Maybe, Stephanie, you can get everybody uh, a bag of potato chips. And if you can't eat potatoes, eat corn chips. Hmm? Oh, large bag, large bag. Yeah. Jumbo, jumbo. So, well, I think they're cheaper, aren't they? Yeah, if you buy, and you could buy it by the gross, so we could, we could have lots. And can you just mindfully nibble away and, and, and eat every chip mindfully? Yes? And stop when, you, when the organism says stop. But we need to, first of all, so this switch was really important because it's laying out the order. Mm -hmm. So before you start to tackle, I need to stop the, the negative messages, what's the actual order by building strength in your being? And the tradition of Buddha Dharma, when the Buddha was asked, what is enlightenment? He replied, I know the wholesome, well, I know the, technically, the words are, I know the somanasa, from the domanasa. I know the good mind feeling from the unwholesome mind feeling. And you can say, wasn't that simple? No, it's not. Not at all. Because you have to sort out the messages. Okay? But when he was asked another question, which is, how do you become enlightened? Two different ones, yes? How do you become enlightened and what is enlightenment? His number one statement always was, Find and study and practice with what? A noble mentor. Now, people use the word Kalyanamitta too easily today. You know Kalyanamitta? You've all heard this? A suitable friend? The noble friend? The noble mentor? Have you heard this? Kalyanamitta? Okay. The teacher? The lama? Kalyanamitta. But the actual word itself and the way it's been used, has always been used, is is noble friend, wise friend, wise being. And they're not your buddies. They're your friend. But you know a good friend? good friend tells you like it's the way it is. They're not your buddy buddy. They're your wise friend who can be direct and clear with you, you know, which is real friendship. So where does it start? The Buddha declared it over and over again, when people asked him, how do you become enlightened? Suitable, noble being. Because it's too hard to sort out the messages for yourself. That's where you start. And he starts that, starts it right there. It's a good, good, good place to pause for this morning. Not to associate with fools, to associate with the wise, that's beings who actually have experience the transcendental, 
to honor those who are worthy of honor. That's not, that means not spending time honoring those that are actually unethical. This is the highest blessing. So the whole text is, what are the highest blessings? Then number, number three, we'll go on to that. We can take a little break. To reside in a suitable locality, to have done meritorious actions in the past, and to set oneself in the right course, this is the highest blessing. I'd actually like to talk about that. Are, are there um, other people coming tonight? Possibly? Or, yes? I might leave that. Number three and four tonight. That's right, but they're actually in order. Interesting enough, it's actually laid out uh, in an order. So the the next thing is you've got to get a locality, uh, an environment that's suitable, and meritorious action. So we're going. I need to talk about what is meritorious action. What's merit? That's. I just spent seven weeks, almost seven weeks, yes, uh, sixty talks speaking on merit alone this summer. So it's not a small little thing. But it's absolutely important. A lot of people don't understand how to get strong. Yeah, you have to get strength. So before you, you go and you do battle with those uh, thoughts in there, you have to have strength. Otherwise, you find that you still eat the bag of potato chips all the way down, and you go, why is it I can't stop? It's making me sick, but I can't stop eating, and I'm going down to the very last grain uh, a little fragment of potato chip, hmm? especially Pringles. I don't even know if there's any potato in Pringles. <laughs> I used to love Pringles on long car rides, but I'd have the same thing, you know, after about half an hour, two hours, I'd go, what is that sensation? What is that nasty <laughs> sensation in my body? So let's take, let's take a break and then we can come back and uh, uh, just take a pause and finish up. But take a, um, a pee break and take a stretch for about uh, 15 minutes. We'll come back and um, just a little more on some other things, okay, about meditation and, and, and so on. Okay. There's a lot of, lot of information this morning.